The reading this morning is taken from Matthew 25, verses 31 to 46. The final judgment. When the Son of Man comes as King, and all the angels with him, he will sit on his royal throne, and the people of all the nations will be gathered before him. Then he will divide them into two groups, just as shepherds separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the righteous people on his right and the others on his left. Then the king will say to the people on his right, Come you that are blessed by my father. Come and possess the kingdom which has been prepared for you ever since the creation of the world. I was hungry and you fed me, thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you received me in your homes, naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you took care of me, in prison and you visited me. The righteous will then answer him, when Lord did we ever see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you a drink? When did we ever see you a stranger and welcome you in our homes or naked and clothe you? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? The king will reply, I tell you, whenever you did this for one of the least important of these brothers of mine, you did it for me. Then he will say to those on his left, away from me, you that are under God's curse, away to the eternal fire, which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. I was hungry, but you would not feed me, thirsty, but you would not give me a drink. I was a stranger, but you would not welcome me into your homes, naked, but you would not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, but you would not take care of me. Then they will answer him, when, Lord, did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and would not help you? The king will reply, I tell you, whenever you refuse to help one of these least important ones, you refuse to help me. These then will be sent off to eternal punishment, but the righteous will go to eternal life. The word of the Lord. Let us pray. Almighty God, we thank you for your presence with us this day. We thank you for the opportunity to worship and offer our praise to you. And on this day, may we hear the words you have for us. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight. You who are our rock, our strength, and our redeemer. Amen. Now, just in case you hadn't heard, there was an election last week. And when you know it, the results of the election are pretty well the same as when government dissolved back in August. I know for some of you, myself included, you might find it a little frustrating to go through all those weeks of campaigning to see no real significant change in the governance of our nation. 
But as we watched the campaigns, as we heard the promises they made, I think there are some good ones in there that we really need to hold them accountable for, no matter what you think of our prime minister or his party. For me, this election was about two key issues, as it has been for at least the last 10 or so years. The environment and care for our most vulnerable are always at the top of my list, no matter what the election is, municipal, provincial, federal. I look for what they are saying about those two things. Now, sadly, the majority of the parties seem to uh, place less prominence of these policies in their party platforms. They kind of give them a back seat. Yes, they were there, but in my opinion, they were kind of weak or just not acceptable at all, one way or the other. And yes, I read the party platforms. Even for the parties I know I'm not going to vote for, I look at them all. Now, I don't know if you've noticed over the last number of elections, but it seems to me the biggest promises around policy changes or the way we govern things, the ones I get most excited about, the ones I think might produce the greatest amount of change, the most positive change, the ones we might call the hard things, those are the ones that often get dropped when the government finally gets into power. Things like clean water for all Canadians, especially our Indigenous brothers and sisters things like electoral reform, things like a turn away from fossil fuels to green energy, things like healing relations with our First Nations friends, brothers and sisters, an issue that's been ongoing for, well, forever. All parties do this. No one wants to risk losing votes, no matter how great the change might be. They know they're going to upset someone, and they don't want to lose their votes. Or the policy is easy to forget because, because what the change is going to affect is affects so few people that it's not really going to make a dent in their popularity so they don't bother doing it. Things like clean water on every reserve. Things like truth and reconciliation. Things like lifting families out of poverty. Things like a real plan, a significant plan for the climate crisis that we're currently in. Politicians, they do frustrate me. I realize that most politicians are actually good people. I believe that. But when some of them seem to be doing nothing more than trying to stay popular in order to be re-elected to keep their job, then, then I get frustrated. And when it comes to making promises to the most vulnerable in our society, with no voice at the policy table, you know, for the homeless people, for people living in poverty, for people living on First Nations reserves. When they keep breaking the promises that they make to these people, then I get more than frustrated, I start to get angry. You know, we think about most recent, you know, in the last couple of years, our government bought a million dollar oil pipeline so they could pipe oil through indigenous lands. But it doesn't seem they can build a pipeline to pipe them water. So you see the frustration. Now, later this week, for the first time ever, we will uh, observe the National Day for Truth and Reconciliation. Great, we finally have a day. But what does it mean? You think about things like Terry Fox Sunday, we raised millions of dollars for cancer research. For Remembrance Day, we 
honor and remember those who fought and still serve in our military in all kinds of wars and battlefields. But what happens on the National Day for Truth and Reconciliation? What will we learn? What will we do to honor truth and reconciliation? What will we do, what will we do to bring truth and reconciliation? What is truth and reconciliation? Well, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission was created in an agreement between the federal government, the Assembly of First Nations, most importantly, survivors of residential schools, and also churches are represented as the ones who took part in creating and operating the residential schools. The Truth and Reconciliation's job was to tell all Canadians what happened across our nation in the many residential schools we operated. To tell of those stories of abuse, the stories of neglect, even the stories of death. Those stories were to be told. And in 2015, they published their final report, which included 94 calls to action that they would consider to be agents of truth and reconciliation. I doubt that very many people have read it. I confess that I have only skimmed the document myself. Now when you think back to May, we all felt that shock and the horror as they, the announcement came out, they found 200 bodies of children outside of a residential school, former residential school in Kamloops, British Columbia. What you may not know, that's the only, not the only place they looked. They have been since searching other residential schools. And they knew of some before that. And so what you may not know is that 1,802 bodies have been found at former residential schools. 1,802. Almost every single one of them a child. Not all, but almost all of them. Funny how we haven't heard about those numbers, have we? I mean, we had that initial shock, and we instituted a holiday... Isn't that enough? Isn't that all our broken hearts can handle? No, it's not enough. When you read through the Truth and Reconciliation reports, when you sit and hear the stories of pain that our Indigenous brothers and sisters endured, that what we have inflicted upon them, it's not enough. What they went through was too much. Much more than any person would have to, should have to live through once, let alone to have it happen again and again and again across our nation in government-sponsored, church-run, residential schools that sought to kill the Indian in the child. It's wrong. It is far beyond wrong that we inflicted cultural genocide on a peaceful people in land that we stole from them. So how do we respond to the atrocities and horror of, our back, of our, this part of Canadian history? A history that heavily influenced how we govern our nation still today. It still influences how we treat Indigenous people. It is a history that has cemented systemic racism within our laws and policies and how we govern ourselves. We may not know it, we may not see it every day, but it's there. Systemic racism is there. Now, Canada, like America, was founded upon Christian values that we brought over from Europe when we discovered North America. 
Yet when I pick up our Christian book of authority that we all claim to read and follow, that we claim to be our authoritative document, I read the words we heard from Jesus this morning. In Matthew 25, starting at verse 31, Jesus tells us that there will be a day, a day of judgment coming. And on that day, all the nations of the world will gather in front of the throne of Jesus. And that means all the people, all the nations, all the people will be gathered before the throne of Jesus. And he will separate the good from the bad. And on that day, Jesus will say to the good people, he says, Come you that are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared from you, prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. And the, good, the blessed people will look at each other and say, Well, when did we do these things for Jesus? And Jesus replies, Truly I tell you, as just as you did it to the one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. And then Jesus will turn to the bad people and he'll say, You that are accursed, depart from me into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food, thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me, naked and you did not give me clothing, sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. And then the accursed people will look at each other and say, well, when did we not do these things for Jesus? And Jesus will look at them and say, truly I tell you, just as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. Jesus spent his entire life tending the poor and the lame, healing the sick and the dying, bringing hope to the hopeless, feeding the hungry. He did it all. He did it all to show us how to live with each other on this earth. He didn't hang out with the rich and famous. He didn't hang out with CEOs of corporations. He didn't hang out with political leaders. Heck, he didn't even hang out with church leaders. He was out there in the streets, feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, visiting the sick and the dying, and by his example, he wants us to follow him. Now, I don't know about you, but when I look around the world, the place I would most want to live is Cape Breton, Canada. But I have to admit, if I get a phone call from a church in New Zealand, Bev may be twisting my arm a little bit. But Canada is the place where we want to be living, right? When we look at what's happening all over this world. As great as Canada is, though, we're not perfect. No nation is perfect. No nation has a pristine history of perfection. But just because that doesn't exist, it does not absolve us of our past sins or the sins we continue to carry on today. Sins against other groups of people, whether it be people of color, indigenous people, or any other minority. Remember, Jesus says to all the nations that all the people will be judged on how we treat the most vulnerable in our society. Because whatever we do to them, we do it to Jesus, for good or for bad. This should be a bit of a sobering statement for us today. Whatever you do to the most vulnerable in our society, we do it to Jesus. 
So if you have a me-first attitude, if you, ha- if you are one to put your rights, your own rights, ahead of someone else, then I can pretty much guarantee that you are not a follower of Jesus. Whatever we do to the most vulnerable in our society, we do to Jesus. Now I know in the general run of a year, I don't pay a lot of attention to kind of the, the holidays outside of the church. But when I look at the history of how Canada has treated our indigenous brothers and sisters, how they've been treated in Canada, how they've been treated in Nova Scotia, how they've been treated in Cape Breton. Well, we need to realize that when we pick up our Bibles and we read these words, they are speaking to us as well. They're reflective of how we need to be treating people who are around us as a people, as a church, and as a nation. Whatever we do to the most vulnerable in our society, we do to Jesus. Now these are not the only words in the Bible that should cause us to pause and reflect that maybe we can do more as followers of Jesus. Jesus also told us what the most important commandments were. right? To love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And what's the second? Love your neighbor as yourself. So who is our neighbor? Well, when Jesus told about what the two most important commandments are, someone asked him, well, who's my neighbor? And Jesus told the story of the Good Samaritan, where he reveals that our neighbors are people we meet in our everyday life. Every day. Family, friends, co-workers, strangers, foreigners. Everyone is our neighbor. And everyone is worthy of being loved. Jesus even got himself into a whole lot of trouble by going out to the Samaritans, the Gentiles, the foreigners. But he was following God's plan. He was fulfilling the great commandments. He was showing us who is our neighbor and how we can love them. So this week I encourage you to pray. To pray for those who are vulnerable even within our own community. Remember, 43% of households on the north side are in some sort of trauma-inducing situation, whether it be drugs, alcohol, addiction, uh, poverty, abuse, mental health issues. 43% of households on the north side are experiencing this right now. Think about that when you drive home. Pretty much every other house you drive by is having this kind of issue. Think of the families in there. Think of the children and pray. Now, it's been great. We as the church, we've donated some money over the last year during the pandemic to to feed families in need. Uh, we've, We've given it to the schools who have identified families within the school system that needed food, but But what else can we be doing? How can we show our love as a church? How can we be a representative of Jesus in our community? How can we be an active presence of God showing love and hope beyond just giving money? I mean, it's it's a great start. But how do we build relationship as Jesus shows us to go out and build relationship? It kind of boils down to hearing stories. 
It's about being present to people in their moments and hearing what they were struggling with at the time. I mean, that's what they did with the Truth and Reconciliation Report. They went out and they heard the stories from residential school survivors and their families about how it impacted them. And it's also about reaching out in love, offering the presence of God and his love to people in their times of need. It's about loving our neighbors, our indigenous neighbors, our neighbors of color, our poor neighbors, our neighbors of all backgrounds and experiences. And it's loving them as God loves them. Whatever we do to the least of these, we do to Jesus. So again, this week I encourage you to pray, to pray about our neighbors. When you walk or drive our streets, look at the homes, look at the apartment buildings, look and listen and see and hear what is going on. Listen to the children play. Listen to their parents. Listen to the sirens we hear. Even listen to the silence. What don't we hear? And listen for what God may be whispering to you or us as a church as to how we can show his love even more. And I know Thursday is going to be a day off for a lot of people, but let's not treat it like a holiday. It is a national day for truth and reconciliation. So, sure, if you go out for a drive, if you go for a walk or a hike, great. But again, look around and see. Remember that we are living on stolen land, the unceded territory of the Mi'kmaq people. And then spend time praying for the healing of our land. Spend time praying for the healing of relationships. Pray for reconciliation. Pray for peace. Pray for the children. Everyone. May God speak into our hearts as to how we can show his amazing love to those who are around us every single day as we respond to the call of Jesus to show people God's love for all his children just as he has shown it to us again and again and again. May we not feel despair, but great hope for God has called, God is leading, and God has shown us how to live to the wonderful, beautiful life of Jesus Christ who gave his life for ours and for every single other person out there. He came for all. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thank you for listening to Be Still and Know, a ministry of Carmen United Church in Sydney Mines. To learn more about our ministry, please visit our website, www.carmenunited.ca. May God bless you this day.